0: Awesome here. Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. Welcome, Rob. How are you tonight?
1: I'm doing great, Bobby. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, of course. Um, I'll tell you guys, Rob and I just met five minutes ago uh, since the first time when I met him on Saturday and he's ready to go. So I'm going to let him introduce himself and start talking about the value he brings to the world because I think he's onto some big stuff.
1: All right. So I'm Rob Tillman. I'm the founder of a company called Unignorable, and my primary focus is making sure people overcome being overlooked so they can earn what they're worth. That's both entrepreneurs and job seekers. Uh, But what I'm here to talk about today is the most overlooked addiction that people don't realize, which is work addiction. Now, some people laugh about this, oh, that's just you all just trying to work hard and you're just trying to be successful, but that's not really what it is. It's actually been identified In psychology, that it's just like any other addiction. It's what we have, which drives us to try to do something or to try to run away from something. So I lived the majority of my life as a work addict, and just like any other addict, then I kept driving for that high. That high that came from people saying, "Hey, you're doing a good job," or, or you know, looking at a paycheck that's going up. But with that, then I lost so many things. I lost family. I lost family members. I lost friends. Again, I I lost so many things and really that came about because just like any other addiction i focused all my time and efforts there i mean what can i say bobby you know it's in this world we're always trying to figure out where do we belong and when we don't feel like we belong somewhere then we try to find something to draw ourselves to you think
0: a hundred percent so much gold already Yes, the belonging piece. And I loved that you were vulnerable about the, hey, you're doing a good job. I've worked with people who are sending emails at two in the morning, just so that all the chatter is about them working too much because they're sending emails at two in the morning, right?
1: Oh my goodness. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I've been there, done that. I worked around the world. Um, I used to pride myself on, oh, you know, you can always reach me. I'm, I'm working in China. or I'm working in Mexico, I'm working in a different time zone. And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter what time, whatever time it is, you can, you can reach me. And that really hurt my personal health. I I gained a lot of weight and then I lost a lot of weight. Uh, it, It hurt my mental health. I was always dragging and always tired. And it wasn't just because of the physical parts of the work, it was the mental aspects of it. And I, and I knew I was driving myself down in a hole.
0: So you hit on something. I want to go into how you got out of all of that. I want to dig deeper into that. But before we go there, you said something before I press record that was so important. The addiction is an escape. Like work is an escape. Like any, like when I was gambling, it was because I was escaping or if I was drinking, I was escaping. So I love that you called that out. Do you want to expand on that at all?
1: Absolutely. Well, getting more vulnerable for a second, then there are a couple of different escapes that were happening with me. The first was actually my family history. So addicts normally come from families of addicts. And there was addiction in uh, parts of my family, my grandparents and, and, and people like that, and, and aunts and uncles. And I always would look at them and I was like, I'm never going to be like them. I'm never going to be like that. So I was always trying to find how I could not be like that. But we don't realize that addictive personalities are really addictive. And we just moved our addiction to something else. So in all of my attempts to say, I'm not going to be a drug addict or I'm not going to be an alcoholic, then all I deal with, or a gambler, which again, I have a lot of gambling addiction in my family. Then instead of doing those things, what I did was I pushed all of my energies into work. And I thought that, oh, but at least I'm not like them. But we end up in the same place. You lose everything. You lose your family and you lose all of who you are by running away from those things. Uh, the other thing I was running away from is i I run away from failure. And in addiction, then we find that we are running away from failure. When we think we're going to fail, then we just push ourselves into that other thing. And for me, I was so afraid of failing that I pushed myself and I pushed everything and everybody else away from me just so I could think that I had something.
0: You're blowing me away. I feel like you might've been eavesdropping in my apartment today. I I was on a call with my sponsee and in the 12-step program, one of the questions in gamblers is is knowing why you gambled important. Now, GA doesn't believe it's important to know why. I'm coming to believe I think it does matter. I think Mm -hmm. it helps us get to the truths of our behaviors. Um, And I'd love to hear your opinion about that. But I said to her today, I had all that addiction too. The alcohol, the drugs, all the things, you know, the uncle with AIDS from Dirty Needles, you name it. And I didn't want to grow up to be an alcoholic or an addict. And that's why I gambled. Like that's what I've come up with after my own self research. So you just, I feel like you just echoed everything I said to her. And that was a little creepy, but you're spot on. At least in my opinion, you're spot on.
1: Well, in your show, what, what your show is all about is being vulnerable. You put yourself out there to the world and you, you share with the world who you are, how you got here, because you actually understand it can help other people. The reason I'm here is because I want to help other people and I can't help people if I'm hiding behind who I really am. Uh, I have to put it all out there and I have to be vulnerable for people to judge me. And that's also another reason why we are get into our addictions is because we're afraid of being judged. And we either push away from them or we push deeper into them and the things that we do.
0: So I want to hear about the transition. And if I understand right to lay the the framework here, you worked in corporate America or regular jobs and now you're an entrepreneur?
1: Yes. The actual, I actually made the transition while I was in corporate America. And it was part of the reason why I developed the process that I use for training people outside of corporate America. So my transition happened when I was working in China. So I'm working in China, I'm away from my entire family. I have two younger kids, not too small. At this time they're actually becoming teenagers. And I thought my whole objective is to to give them a better life. And that's what I use as the the reason for me being addicted in that way. I said, "I'm, I'm gonna give them a better life than I ever had. But what they wanted was my time and they wanted me to be there. So I'm working and working and working. And one day it was a weekend and it was a Sunday. So I was working six days a week and on Sundays and I would sometimes do some work, but for the most part, that was my only day off. And I had a, a larger time frame to talk to them. Whenever you're on the other side of the world than anybody who's ever done that, you know, that they're like small timeframes where you can talk to the people that are really important to you and you have to catch them then. So Sunday was normally the day where I got to talk to my kids. And on this Sunday, they didn't want to talk to me. And I was like, why why don't they want to talk to me? And they didn't want to talk to me because they were tired of being restricted to when they could talk to me. So I'm sitting there and it's just me. I'm looking around this apartment. Uh, I look out the window. I see all of these people walking around. I see people with their families. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be here to make a better life for my family, but all I'm doing is pushing them away. And first, I try to still like, like anything else. I try to act like, well, no, it's going to be OK. And, and, and it is better for them. But it just kept gnawing at me and gnawing at me. And I couldn't sleep. The next day, I went to work. And I was working 12-hour days uh, in the factory. I was setting up a factory there in China. And I was totally exhausted because I couldn't sleep. I went home. And I still couldn't sleep. And it just was bearing in my mind. It said something in my life has to change. And I didn't know how to change it. But I knew that I had to do something different and I tried to figure out what was going on in me. And I actually feel I finally realized that I wasn't doing the work that I was doing for them. I was doing it for me and I was doing it for me to feel better. And it made me totally feel horrible about myself. So I tried to figure out what was I going to do to change that. And what I decided was to leave that extremely high paying job there in China and come back to the U.S. And when I came back to was shambles. Kids didn't want to spend any time with me, didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to have anything to do with me. Uh, Ended up getting divorced. There was just this, everything was falling apart. So even when I was trying to fix it, then I found out I'd pushed it too far. With that, then I decided I would never live my life in that way again. But that never word, that's a really hard word for us (laughs) because you find yourself falling back into that thing. Because I said, hey, you know, I have to find what I'm going to do here. And I started working, but I tried to hold back. And then, of course, I fell back into work addiction. And I kept uh, pushing myself further and further until finally I just decided I have to be okay with me in order to be okay with everything else. So i developed this process for myself. um, And is it okay if I share with your audience?
0: I would love for you to share with the audience. I think think many people go through what you're talking about, it might not happen halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's tragedy for those who don't figure it out. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen the workaholics, um, you know, that aren't taking care of themselves. And I didn't know this either, because before oh. I came out of rehab, I never did it. Um, but once I got out of rehab, it was like, no, I'm not working till seven o'clock at night. No, I'm not working 28 days in a row. And I I started to be able to stand up for myself. Most people, I don't think, have that experience or have that Mm -hmm. ability. So what you're about to lay down for us is the strategy. And that's what you really help people with, right? The normal people that don't have to go to rehab to figure it out. Right. Okay.
1: And and the strategy, it's going to sound too simple. But just like most things on earth, it's not the simplicity of it. It's how hard it is to do these different steps. So actually, I started off with the first step that we all have to do is not to learn to do something different, it's to unlearn. So I had to unlearn all of these things that were in me, like what made me feel like it was so important to work in that way, what made me feel the way like I was, like I was being rewarded for the things that I was doing. So it wasn't about learning, it was unlearning was the first step I had to do. And it was a really deep process into unlearning and, and really digging deep inside of me and, and figuring out what was inside of me that was driving me to to do those types of things. And that was a really hard thing for me to do. Uh, The next thing I had to do was unlock. I had to find out instead of that thing, which I thought was making me special, which was work, or the thing that that I could always fall back to, which I said, well, if if nothing else, I can always work and, and I can outwork people. Then I had to find out or I had to unlock what was inside of me, the real superpower that I had, which was in this world. And I found it was this, it was reaching people and being able to share my story or being able to talk to them about what is going on with their stories. And I found that people just gravitate to me. They wanted to share with me what's going on. And through those conversations, I always help them unlock something that they already knew was deep inside of them. And that last step is the hardest for all of us. The last step that we all strive for is even when we know the right thing to do, no matter what it is in your life, it's not about somebody telling you the right thing to do. We all know what we should do. But the hardest thing is for us to actually do it. And that's called unleashing. And the reason why it's so hard to unleash is because we lack the confidence to actually be ourselves and bring our full self into the world. So often we feel like we're going to be judged. We feel like we're going to have people who think a certain kind of way about us if we really show who we are. And that's why we hide behind other things. And we sometimes just need someone else. We need a coach or a mentor or a true friend that's willing to help us get that permission we need to step out and just be who we are.
0: I the first word I wrote down as you were talking because well first I want to I want to break these down because I have so many thoughts and um, I'm excited about this. So the unlearning just that alone and I want to draw attention to this because again whoever's listening may not, this may be the first time they're hearing that we even have the wrong mindset on things or the wrong belief system, you know, money being one of the biggest things. Uh, for example, you know, uh, that whole 401k and tight and, right. you know, this whole, here's an example, I guess my 18 year old niece, I asked her when I become a billionaire, what do you want? And she couldn't dream that big to even name a place she would want a house, right? Mm-hmm. So for you to have the presence of mind to even notice that those thoughts are what you had a break, first of all, kudos to you because it's
1: really- Thank you so people. much.
0: So do you see, do you see um, themes in what you have to teach to unlearn, um, like across people? Oh goodness,
1: do- always. I actually begin with that process. When we talk about what unlearning is, there are three words that we really always need to gravitate to, which are couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't. These are the things that the whole entirety of our, of our, our youth are based around, and that's what we learn. We're, instead of learning things we can do, the majority of our childhood is spent learning what not to do. People tell us, what well, well, you, you, couldn't do that, and it tells us that we have limits. And then the next one is you shouldn't do that, which are rules. And sometimes those rules aren't real. Sometimes those rules are just what somebody else believes is what should be. And that last one is wouldn't, and they're trying to tell us who we are. They're saying you don't have that capability to do that. You don't have it in you to have the willpower because I equate wouldn't with willpower, and they say you wouldn't do that. You're not that big. You're not that strong, or or you're not that that type of person that's gonna do that thing. So we have to figure out what are all those things that happened in our our youth where people kept telling us that. They kept telling us, you couldn't, you shouldn't, you wouldn't. And if you find out those things, which is a hard process to do because we have to really dig deep inside ourselves, we have to get over the belief that those things are real. If anyone has ever done it, you can do it. And we need to realize that. Anything that's ever been done on earth that proves it can be done, So if anyone else can do it, we can. Now, you may say, oh, you're just saying that and that's that's pie in the sky. But no, it's real. Nothing is real until you've actually seen it's been done. But you can find one of my favorite books is the Guinness Book of World Records. And I read it for fun all the time. And I actually recommend other people do that. And you're gonna find out that every single person in there has some superpower, which you may think is not important, but it's something that somebody very likely told them they couldn't, wouldn't, or shouldn't do there's actually a guinness book of world records for stacking m&ms now it sounds like the stupidest craziest thing ever but think about that that's something that's round and somebody sat around there and said you know what i think i can be the best stacker of m&ms and everybody told them i couldn't or that they couldn't they wouldn't they shouldn't and as simple as that thing is just pick something that you're going to realize is not real in your life and you work to unlearn that
0: love it love it so I want the show to be about you. Let me be very uh, clear on no, that. No, no, no.
1: This is your show. I, I am here to support your audience and you know what questions they have. So, so you're their voice piece for asking any question that you have or, or giving any feedback.
0: Well, you just keep triggering things that have just happened in this last week in my universe. Today I'm at a training and the topic was public speaking, believe it or not. Uh-huh. And the, the, it was, what are you committed to do? And the girl that I was in a breakout room was uncomfortable with going live. And I was like, well, why? It wasn't part of the assignment, but I had to play Dr. Bobby in my own rights. But I was like, well, why not? Well, my high school friends might see it. Okay, so what are you worried about with that? And we dug and dug and it was about the judgment. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're all changing and growing and evolving with you too. Like, don't be stifled. So I love that that is your foundational foundation, I guess, for lack well, of my vocabulary.
1: As funny as it is, then we talk about like speaking. So everybody talks about it the way that I speak and here's the thing about it. I am an introvert by nature. It takes everything I have. Right before I got on here with you, I had to get myself all pumped up so I could actually get ready to do this. And I've actually spoken on different stages. I just got back from speaking in Dubai, as crazy as it is. And I was so nervous before I did it. Whenever, I, whenever I'm about to speak to anybody, People think that the, we're not nervous. We are nervous, but I had to unlearn a couple things in regards to that. What I had to unlearn is the first thing is no one knows what I'm going to say. So if I make a little mistake, it's not that bad. The world is going to come to an end. And, and if, if I make a big mistake, all I have to do is laugh at myself and I'm laughing with them. They're not laughing at me. So I can find these different things that help me to get over these beliefs that I have.
0: Love it love it and yeah you don't strike me as an introvert you're a very beautiful speaker Uh, it makes sense to me dubai is a fabulous place so i'm sure they enjoyed this yeah okay the next word i wrote down for unlock was ego oh am i on the right track
1: you are right there so driving directly there to ego uh, one of my favorite books, and I actually bought over 20 plus copies of it, is a book by Ron Holiday called Ego is the Enemy. And the reason why I bought 20 plus copies is because I give them out all the time. It's an incredible book. Even just looking at it and thinking about what it's telling you is that what holds us back is our ego. And we build our entire life on what other people tell us is this great thing about us. And what the we have to do when we un- oh. what we have to do when we unlock is we have to find out what is really that part of us that we want to bring into the world. And that is so scary, but our ego holds us back from doing it. It always tells us, well, no, just just do this to be able to blend in and, and just do this because this is what's going to be accepted. And to unlock that part of you that maybe just a few people know or nobody knows, and sometimes not even yourself because it's a blind spot for you, that is so hard to do.
0: So that's what you're doing. you're looking into people, you're doing the digging to help them see the blind spots.
1: Absolutely, and we call them blind spots. Some people use this term strengths and weaknesses. I hate the term weakness because weakness tries to imply that there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us and that's what I'm sharing with when we talk about unlocking. Unlocking your strength doesn't mean that you're weak in something else. it just means that's not specifically the thing that you need to focus your efforts on today In our educational system, I'm not going to talk bad about it. I'm just going to share the differences between today's education and the education that happened for for many, many moons before the current way that we do it. In the previous educational system, then when you were young, people would actually pay attention to you. They would watch you. They would look at you. They would be intent on learning who you were. And if you showed an affinity for drawing pictures, then it would shovel you and push you into this area where you got to develop that skill. They said your skill is drawing, and you would get all of your time, dedication, and focused on becoming a great artist. If you were great with numbers, then they would say, hey, here are some ways to use your strength. If you were great with oration, if you're great talking, then they would push you in that direction because they said it's better to spend your time enhancing what you're great at than to just be blasé and have a little bit of a lot of skills. If you're digging for oil, you know how you dig for oil? I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma, so I know a lot about oil and gas. And if you wanna dig for oil, you make a very small hole, but you go way, way deep to get to where the oil is. If you made a big plant of, a big plant of, of land and you dug shallow, then you're not gonna to get to the oil. In order to get to the oil inside of you, in order to get to the important stuff, you have to find what that thing is and you dig really, really deep until it all starts flowing out.
0: That's a great analogy. Thank you for that. Okay. And the final one is unleash. Let's talk about that. Oh that my
1: like? goodness. The others are really emotional for us. So I've had people go through this process and they actually have cried when they're looking down and they're saying, man, you know, I didn't really notice about me or I was so afraid to bring this out of me. And they figure out, well, it's time to bring that to the world. And so often, we don't want to be vulnerable. And so often, we're afraid of what the world is going to think about us when we do that. So the unleash is what I've found to be the hardest part of any of these processes. Unleashing is having the confidence to be able to step into the world and say, this is who I am, and I challenge you to accept me. And what I found is there's two things that are really important in making that happen. Do you mind if I share those with the audience?
0: I love, I, yes, I'm on the edge of my seat actually. Okay,
1: right. <laughs> so the two things that are very important when we talk about how do you get that confidence to move forward, the first thing is having a framework. So if you don't know that there's a step in front of you, then you won't step in front of you. So what I like to do is I like to give people, I call it BG. STA, and VGSTA stands for Vision, Goals, Strategy, Tactics, and Actions. And what we do is we say, okay, well, something has to be bigger than where you are for you to move forward. So what we set out is we say, what do you really want to feel like? What do you want life to look like when you step forward? And we really define out what that's going to be. So they get a vision, and I tell them if you can't close your eyes and actually feel what it feels like when you're going to be there, your vision isn't strong enough and you won't take that step. So we really define a vision for that person and where they want to go. The next thing we do is we define goals. And and this is where a lot of people get it wrong. People think think a goal is where you're trying to get. A goal is nothing more than a mile marker to show that you're on the path to reaching your vision. So for me being in Los Angeles now, then we talk about Disneyland. So in order to get to Disneyland, if the vision is, I want to know what it feels like to be at Disney, the happiest place on earth. And I can just imagine taking the pictures and and share with my family, right? If that's your vision, then your goals would be, I would like to be to the five, the the interstate five by a certain time. And I would see the market that says, I reached five, and that means I'm on my way. And then you reach another market that says, I'm getting close to Disneyland, which means I'm hitting the exchange. So, So goals are really, just mile markers to say, am I on the right path to reaching that place that I want to go? And in order to get there, then we use strategy. So I I call a strategy, kind of stand with my Disneyland theme. A strategy is what is the vehicle that's going to take you there or what is the process? So you can get to Disneyland by walking. You can get there on a bike. You can be in a car or you can do the smartest thing ever, which is get in a car with another person, because then you can take the carpool lane. And all of these are ways to get there. So you're making sure that you know the right and appropriate way to get to where you're going. And then you can see the goals along the way. And you know that if you're on that path, you're going to reach your vision. The next backward step are tactics. And a lot of people, they, they pick these strategies. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So let's say if your strategy was to use a car and you wanted to have a, be in a carpool lane, your, your tactic must be you have to find somebody else who wants to go to Disneyland with you because you can't get in a carpool lane if you don't have somebody with you. So a tactic is, is something that you have to have or something that you need to incorporate into what you're doing. If you want to take a car, you have to have a car. You have to have a license. You have to be able to, you have to, be able to drive. So there are all these different things. So the tactics break down, are you capable of using that strategy to get what you want? And finally, if you have the right tactics, then it, they do no good if you aren't going to take a step. So as I talked about that, that step that you must take, The actions are, what is that little bitty step that you're going to take every single day or every single hour or minute that are going to keep moving you towards that vision? And if your vision is strong enough, then you're going to be compelled to do it. So with that Disneyland analogy, then that would be, okay, I am going to get out of my house. I'm going to turn a knob to my house at a certain amount of time. And then I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to make sure it has gas. So you're going to do all these different things and, and you're going to define out what those actions are. But even if I laid all it out for you, if you don't believe you're going to do it, you won't. So that's where we always have to have somebody else in our life. As many people who have faced addiction know, then they have to have somebody else that they can talk to, that they can trust, that they can mentor with or, or work with. And that person does something that we can rarely do for ourselves. That person holds us accountable, pushes us, and gives us permission to step into doing those actions they assure us that at least one person isn't going to judge us when we do that thing
0: i have two questions going thank you first of all you are definitely sharing a lot of nuggets and i'm thinking to myself i hope people are writing this stuff down so on vision i have two two questions the first one is do you think everyone has a vision inside of them
1: every single person on earth has a vision Every single person, it's, that is, there is no exception to that rule. And my, I'm going to give the example that, that somebody has asked me before. They said, what about the person who's a couch potato and they don't do anything? They just want to stay on the couch. I said, they do have a vision. They have one or two different visions. They have a vision that that's the life that they're going to have for the rest of their life and they'll never have to get off of it. And they're going to find ways to earn money or people are going to be around and always be able to take care of them in that way. Or they have a vision that they won't live that way But they're so afraid of speaking that vision because people won't believe them. So every single person has a vision.
0: Okay. The second one is, does this? In my head, I have an answer, but I want to hear your answer. Vision, goal, strategy, tactics, action. Do you think that could be applied to like a gambling addiction or alcohol, like to get away from the things? Has that does that work?
1: For me. Again, I cannot speak for somebody with a specific other type of addiction, but I can share with you for me, then being that this is classified just like any other type of addiction, I would say yes regarding me. And I'll, I'll show how that works in a really, really brief uh, time frame. I had a vision of what it would be like to do two different things. The first one was to have a great relationship with my kids. And I said, what would that feel like? And I, I could see it. I could feel it. I was, I was thinking, how would it be? And, you know, having just uh, we just passed Father's Day and to be able to spend that time with my son and he came over and we're hugging and we're just having this great time. That was something I couldn't have ever imagined when I was in this work addiction. And I had that vision of what that would feel like. So I knew that I had to have goals. And some of those goals were how often can I get him to talk to me Uh, and what ways can we communicate? So those are some of those mile markers. And the strategies were, I actually had to know that it it started with me. It wasn't about him. It was the things that I had done. So I picked a strategy, which was, I was going to start off by sending one-way communications. So instead of sending, how are you, text, I would send, I hope that you're doing well, text. And I didn't care if I got a response or not. I, I built a strategy around something that I could do, that it was a vehicle that I could use in order to try to reach that goal, which was to get me to that vision. Back into that, it was a tactic, and the tactic was, okay, what are things I can do? They're emails, or I can, I can call it, I can leave a voicemail, I can, I can send a text. So, I, so I, I knew all these different things existed, and I made sure I could do them. And then what I did was I made sure that it was so random, that it wasn't just, oh, every Friday, so it's like something on a calendar like work, that I'm going to send these things. I put it that, hey, when it crosses my mind to do it, I'm going to do it. And those were the actions that I did daily. I did little things like sending cards. I did little things like, again, texts that are random. And these are all the things I did daily to push me towards saying, these are the things I can do to rebuild that relationship. And there were things I did like that with in regards to work as well, meaning turn it off and, and, and turn off the phone and, and just so many things we can do that help us to get to that place we need to be.
0: Wow. That was a great example too, and how to use it personally. So how I was able to kind of escape that work culture of the have to, you used you used a, what is your little word?
1: Oh my goodness. Or
0: your group so, of words.
1: So there's a, there's a little blip around have to, and I actually share there, is, there are a few things on earth we have to do. We don't have to go to work, we get to go to work. And because if we get to go to work, then we can actually manage how that happens.
0: Okay. Yeah, there was, there was some uh-huh. language that you said in the beginning, and I think it was before I hit record. But nonetheless, <laughs> to make the change, you have, you see, I'm using, oh, wow. No you just gave me, something needs to happen.
1: Is yes. that a better way of saying it? Absolutely.
0: So is this what ties into what's behind you? I'm curious about your baggage sign. And if you don't mind sharing that with us, because it's really brilliant.
1: Definitely, definitely. So I understand and within my coaching, when I work with people, then that actually changes. I have a whole room full of these different uh, uh, canvases, and each one means something different. I specifically chose this one because this one is very applicable to where we are within this conversation today. Every time I put up one, it's trying to reinforce the message. And if we think about why I was doing those things and why a lot of people do those things is because I had this negative thought. And I thought that people would think a certain way about me unless I was this working person and working really hard. And I had guilt whenever I was away from work. I had so much guilt. I was like, oh my goodness, if I'm not doing it, then, then I'm doing something wrong. And those expectations, those expectations are not our expectations. They're the expectations of other people that they have towards us. And we actually just assume them as our own. And then we also feel bad about our mistakes. We're like, well, but I did this or what I did this, or we feel bad about the mistakes of our family. And we we try to overcompensate to, to show that, that at least someone in our family has done something and it's just insecurities and regret and failure and worry. And, and all of those things are the baggage that we're holding on to. And Bruce Lee gave this very incredible quote. He says, I can't fill up your cup until you're willing to pour out what you already know. And because my process always begins with unlearning, then I always make sure people realize that they're carrying around a lot of this baggage and they have to let something go in order for something to come in. So it doesn't matter which of those things you're willing to let go. If you let one of them go, your life will get better because something can get into you.
0: That is that is amazing. And for anybody who's just on audio, I'm looking at this canvas on the back of Rob, on the back of Rob's screen, and at a lot of those words that he just mentioned: negativity, guilt. Those he has pounds equated to each of them, and it does weigh you down. And you're on my theme. I never heard that Bruce Lee quote before. How I talk to my three, two, one audience, especially, is about a bucket. Like we have a bucket in our chest, is how I imagine it. And you have to take all the negative out to fill it with positivity and the, the stuff that we escape and we run from is those bottom three inches that we got to like crack probably with that oil drill that you play with to get that gunk out of there. And you need those three inches for those times that you can't do your daily taking care of yourself so that you have like a little reserve to take care of yourself. So it's kind of the same kind of thing. You can't fill my bucket. You can't fill your bag. You can't fill Bruce Lee's cup. So we're all Mm -hmm. saying the same thing, just in different ways. Truly. Which the point is, is that important people? Like, is that important?
1: It is always that important. People, and that's why I I go back to that first step. It's always about unlearning. People are on this constant mission to think, oh, if I just learn enough on earth, then it's going to change my life. And I really believe more important, especially in our adult life, more important than the things that you learn are the things you're willing to unlearn. That is the way to skyrocket your life is by unlearning these things that are holding us back or or, or having us in a certain mindset. And they have us believing things that aren't real.
0: Do you get a lot of resistance from people? Because that's a big ask. That's a huge ask. You're going to tell me Everything that I believed, and I have to have an open mind, and 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 now I have to buy into this fact that this stuff isn't true. But for my forty-eight years, it was true to me. Like, what what does that look like?
1: Oh, Bobby, you are hitting it right on the head. (laughs) And there's something that I have learned. So this is something I had to unpack, and then it's something I actually did learn that's really important in regards to that. And it works with if anybody or parents out there, this is a little hack. For working with your kids as well. So, working with anybody, especially our kids or or a client or something like that, then there's something that we never try to do. Don't try to convince anybody of anything. Convincing people never works because convincing is based upon their beliefs. So, what I do instead is I actually work with only two words confirming and clarifying. So, what I do with confirming is Behind every thought that a person has or behind every belief, there is something true and real about it. And I confirm that thing. I say, hey, I know that you believe this way. And let me just, can we for a moment, just break down pieces of the belief instead of all of it in one big, one big pile. And I start confirming, yes, this totally makes sense. And yes, 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 yes. And once you get a person nodding, then they understand that you're on their side. The next thing we work on is clarifying. And instead of saying this is wrong, I ask questions about that thing. And I say, if this is true and this is true and this is true, it's kind of hard for this thing to be true. Now, I'm not saying it's not true, but that means that we may be missing something in what I've gathered from you that is making this true. Can you help me understand that? And what you find is the person will in themselves, they'll understand that there's there's something faulty in this logic and they'll work with you and trying to figure out how can they show up that thing that they're doing so never ever try to convince somebody of anything you just confirm the things that they already know to be true and it helps them to feel attuned with you and it lets them know that you're on their side and then you just clarify the things that may be a little shaky and that way in their own head they're making the decision about why that's not what they're going to stand their beliefs on you can't tell them a new belief you have to uh, galileo 422 years ago said You can't teach a person anything. You can only help them to find that within themselves. And that's actually the coaching model that I've used my whole entire life is I don't try to convince anybody of anything. I don't try to tell them I know more than than them. They know their life. I just try to help them clarify some stuff that may have gotten fuzzy or or some extra clutter that we may need to pull out.
0: Yeah, I, I totally love that. I had seen a quote and I don't know who it was, but something to the effect of like, You've never changed anybody's mind in an
1: argument. Oh, goodness, never. It's not possible. As a matter of fact, you make them stand further from you and they don't want to talk to you again. If you ever want to be of service of people, you have to be open and willing to listen to what they have to say, no matter how different it is from what you believe. Because when you hear it, then you're able to find something in it that is true. You find something in it that you actually agree with, and you build on that portion, you build on what you all find in common, and then you all work through the little bits that that may not match.
0: Yeah, I love it. So we've talked about workaholic, just like, and and all the similarities that it has to gambling addiction, um, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, a lot of similarities, your tools work, no matter what it sounds like, or could be applied to whatever is going on. And I can't imagine just based on how much I've learned in what, 20 minutes or a half an hour, that going deep on all of this has to be life-changing for people. And then for the entrepreneurs who are probably out there, maybe being a little bit workaholics. Um,
1: totally. Well, well, there is a difference there. So if we can go into that piece a little bit more, and there's a difference between working hard, hard work, and being a workaholic.
0: Break that
1: down for us. Those are three totally different things. And it was really hard for me. And it actually took me years to break down the differences between those things. They sound similar, but they have nothing to do with each other. So I'm going to use it in the entrepreneur space because uh, uh, many of your audience are entrepreneurs and they're going to really want this message. So let's break down these three buckets and I'll share with you the, the best bucket for success. So we'll start with this bucket called workaholic workaholic is all you're doing is you're filling your time with tasks because you want to feel productive, whether or not they're productive, doesn't matter. You just fill in your bucket with tasks and you do these things and do these things and do these things. So so you can tell people, well, look how hard I work. I I was, I was, I was doing 12 hours when you're only doing eight hours. We do that to try to make ourselves feel good. Okay. So workaholic is, is very selfish way of doing things. Okay.
0: Yep.
1: Now, when we talk about working hard, then working hard is also a selfish thing, but it's in a different way. When we're working hard, we're not doing random things. We pick the thing that we know we're somewhat good at, and that we can shine at, and we just keep on doing that thing. We say we're working hard. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. And as an entrepreneur, you don't need to be working hard because you're going to spend your time doing all the things that aren't going to bring you dollars. Because you're going to focus on these things you think you're really good at, and you're going to focus on all these things that you think you're are going to get you accolades, but they're not going to bring you the accolades that you want because the biggest accolade is an entrepreneur to be successful and to be in the black instead of being in the red. So that's what brings us to that third one, which is called hard work. Now, hard work always boils down to the things you don't want to do, but they're necessary. And as entrepreneurs, We run away from those things and we'll do everything else. We'll do working hard or we'll even become a workaholic just to prove to ourselves that there's a reason why we won't do the hard work. The hard work is dealing with people. The hard work is learning a new tool. The hard work is doing something that's actually going to move the needle on your business. That's why it's hard work. And as an entrepreneur, if you're not willing to do those things, you can't move the needle and it's not going to work. So a successful entrepreneur is always willing to forego the workaholic, willing to forego working hard and put that effort to move the needle, which only comes from doing that hard work, the thing that you avoided. It's, it's hard work for some people like me. One of the hardest things for me was, again, I, am, I learned a term for what I am. It's called a situational extrovert. In other words, I can make sure at the right time I can push all of this energy out to be able to talk and to do these things. So one of the things I hate the most is the phone. I can't stand the phone. The phone for me is hard work. So I would do everything to avoid it. Oh, I'll write this letter. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do anything except doing that. But anyone who's an entrepreneur knows that you have to get on the phone. You have to talk to people. They have to know that you're a real person. You, it, it doesn't come across either just in video, it doesn't come across in the letter that you write. You have to talk to that person and get to know them. So the hard work for me was getting over myself and actually beginning to talk to people.
0: Wow. Is there anything we didn't dive into that you wanted to cover today, Rob?
1: We covered so many (laughs) things. We sure Uh, did. one One of the only other things that I wanted to make sure the audience knew is I wanted them to know that every single person is struggling with something. You know, when we open ourselves up and we're vulnerable and we're willing to to share the things we're struggling with, then it allows that other person to struggle and to, to share their struggle. When I met Bobby, I had talked to very few people about being a work addict. You know, it's something that was in my past and it's something I tried to try to try to move away from. And it's the thing that I we we try to walk away from parts of who we were and we don't know how we can possibly help somebody else with what we're struggling with because we never know what anybody's struggling with. I'm not saying just stand on a soapbox and just scream out what your problems are. But when you see somebody who you can feel may have a little struggle, it's okay to open up a little bit. And to share with them, I struggle too, especially if you reach a level of success. So, as you all as entrepreneurs, when you reach that pinnacle and when people are looking up to you, that's especially the time to share with them hey, you may be looking at where I am now, but you really don't understand where I was. And I I struggle too, because that allows other people to know that there's a chance for them. Everybody's looking for hope. And the more you grow, the more you have a responsibility. To reach to someone else and to share with them that where you are, it took a struggle and that you're willing to share part of that struggle with them so they don't think they're as far as they they think they may be from reaching success.
0: I love how you were just addressing the entrepreneurs, but everything, again, came full circle. If someone's in a 12-step program, they have a sponsor, right? Mm -hmm. And the sponsor has to be willing to step on the ledge to help the sponsee know that they can move forward so that was a great great share for both audiences so thank you for that rob it's been a pleasure how does my audience find you we'll have all your links and and show notes and stuff but it sounds like either audience would benefit from getting to know you a little more talking through some of them
1: i would love to to engage with your audience Uh, if they're anything like you they're awesome so they're going to be great people and you can find me the place I spend most of my time is I'm a Twitter guy. So I'm at Rob Tillman, at R-O-B-T-I-L-L-M-A-N on Twitter, or you can go to my website, which is robtillman.com. And you can learn more about me and the things I'm doing. And if there's anything I could ever do to help you just reach out there. Thank
0: Thank you you so much, Rob. I'm so glad you were here. This was an amazing topic.
1: Well, appreciate your time and appreciate your audience for, for listening to me and sharing this. If I could help any one person, it was worth his time. Thank you.
0: Thank you.